Hey, what's going on? This is The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington. This is part two of a two-part series of an interview. It's actually a rebroadcast from the Human Proof podcast. My friend Dom Wells from Human Proof Designs interviewed me a little while back. And like I mentioned, this is part two. So if this happens to be the first episode that you're listening to of The Doug Show, welcome. Glad to have you. This episode won't make as much sense unless you listen to the previous episode, so I highly encourage you to check that out. Now, before I send it over to the interview, which is uh, reasonably long, gets pretty meaty, I just want to tell a little story. Currently, my wife and I are in a bit of a panic. We're moving. We've been uh, living in Bozeman for, uh, I think it's like four four years. Is that right? So anyway, uh, she has a cool opportunity to get a new job in a different town, in a different state. So we are, like I said, scrambling. Of course, you have to deal with all the normal stuff with moving, figuring out what to do like with your home. Are you going to sell it? Are you going to keep it? Packing, figuring out if you're going to get rid of like old things that you don't need anymore, that, that sort of thing. My interesting little issue that I have is I have a kegerator. There's something like 20 plus gallons of beer in it. Now, don't get me wrong. I try and do my part to, you know, drink <laughs> drink what I can each day, almost every day. But the thing is, there's still a little extra in there. So I'm sort of scrambling, trying to figure out, okay, we're going to be able to finish uh, what we have. Do I need to have a few friends over for a little, you know, empty the keg party to, <laughs> to, to make it easier to move? Then the other part is just beer that I have brewed but not yet bottled because it was aging. So I have a couple beers that are, you know, very they're actually very very good and I'm going to need to bottle them. I wasn't planning on bottling them for a little while, but I'm going to need to bottle them in the next I don't know, like a week or so along with the regular packing. Then the the final little uh, conundrum that I'm dealing with here is I have a barrel. It's a five-gallon whiskey barrel that I'm aging beer in. So I need to empty that. I'll probably put it actually into a keg because a keg is a fairly robust way to transport beer across state lines, apparently. Wait, that's just a joke. I'm not transporting alcohol across state lines for any, you know, revenuers that are listening. But the, the point is, I have a lot of beer that I have to figure out what to do with. Worst case scenario, you drink it. So anyway, I'm going to send it over to the intro that, that Dom did for my interview on the Human Proof podcast. Please check it out. Very good podcast. He has a ton of episodes, a lot of big value that he provides on his podcast. So after Dom does his intro, we will get into the actual interview. So let's go ahead and get started here. Anyway, we're going to pick up where we left off and Doug is now going to talk us through everything he did and it's a fantastic episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. I guess the title would be The Issues Encountered with Project Go White Hat. And Doug, do you want to just recap what we were talking about? Sure. So basically, my partner and I, Rob, were working on converting a gray hat site to a white hat site in hopes of getting a higher multiple whenever we sold the site. And in the process of doing this basically 10-month-long project, we encountered a few issues. We're going to talk about 
basically how we resolve three main things. One was around content. So if you remember from the previous episode, the content was kind of lousy in general. And there also wasn't very much of it. And we wanted to sell the site for multiple six figures. And we knew that we needed to, you know, take a look at content, figure out what to do in a like large scale way. Second major issue was actually converting it to a white hat site from a gray hat site. And that required looking at the private blog network links of which there were 45 and then replacing them with new white hat guest post links that we got through outreach. And then finally, Amazon changed the commission rates in March of 2017 and effectively changed our commission rate from about eight and a half percent to about five and a half percent. Right. So pretty significant decrease there. So we'll get to that in a bit. So let's start with I mean, chronologically, the first thing you did was the content or did you do the content and try to do the links at the same time? We did content and links at the same time, but the, you know, really the content happened faster. You know, that was something that I kind of had skills with as far as building a team, you know, finding what content we actually wanted to place on the site and, getting it published quickly. So content really happened first. All right, cool. So you had about 45 posts on the site at the time. Was there new content being added regularly at the time or had it been static for some time? It had been very static for a very long time. Yeah. So there wasn't, there really wasn't much going on. And you know, really there was like one post, right. That was making 90% of the revenue and I can straight up just give you some details on it. I think there were about 2,500 words. I mentioned in the last episode, the content was pretty poor in that it was pretty clear that the author, the freelance writer that Rob hired, they really didn't know anything about the product. So it was really, you know, kind of bad. And you know, we talked before, sometimes, you know, you could still make good conversions on that, but we knew we needed to step up our game on that specific post. And then on top of that, since there were only 45 posts on the site in general, you know, we wanted to get that up over a hundred. And, you know, I was on one of the previous episodes If someone hasn't, you know, listened to it, you should check out the one on like the keyword golden ratio and Dom, you could probably tell us the title of that one. I don't recall, but I mean, we straight up used the keyword golden ratio and published like 80 posts over the course of uh, several weeks to, you know, get this at a level that we felt more comfortable that would actually sell for like multiple six figures. Yeah. So that's episode 13 and episode 14. It's called Getting Long Tail Traffic with Doug Cunnington. So anyway, yeah, going back to what you were saying. So was it a particular, was it a, a niche where, and I know you can't reveal the niche, but was it one where the writer would have had problems reviewing it and they were just kind of guessing or were they just one of those kind of writers who just sort of made it up as they went along or like yeah. how bad was the content? It was the latter. I mean, they could have reviewed it better but they just 
you know, didn't try that hard. And I mean, like I said, the crazy thing, the the page was ranking really well and it was making a lot of money, but it was just not that great. And I talk about this a little bit on Niche Site Project. I call it like the research paper method. And it goes back to, you know, back when we were in high school or college and we had to, you know, go write a research paper on some topic. We'd go to the library, you know, back when I assume those are still in schools, but nowadays I'm sure people could just like look everything up on their phone without getting up. But back in the day, like Dom, you probably went to the library, you get some encyclopedias. That's like Wikipedia, but with books, if you're not familiar. And we're not that uh, old. Look stuff up. You remember encyclopedias, right? Yeah, I, I <laughs> vaguely remember the library as well. So basically, I do this research paper method, RPM, and you Google the term that you're interested in, and then you find like the best resources on the internet. You consolidate that information. Usually, like Wikipedia probably will be a source. You may be able to go to like the manufacturer's website for the products or various manufacturers and like really get insight on, you know, how they organize the information, the information that's actually provided. And you can see what's important to people to actually buy the product because it's in the manual. And then you can go to other niche sites too that may be well researched and written well. And you consolidate all that information to write an outline using that content. So at that point, you know, if you put it all together, you've gone to the best sources online, you saw what they did, and then you wrote an outline on it. With that outline, you can go to a, you know, a competent writer, which I hired on Upwork, by the way. So I hired an, a writer on Upwork. This individual had, you know, some journalistic background. They were a you know, a qualified writer. They were a professional. So for about uh, $200, I, you know, provided the outline to the person. I provided the resources to the person and I had them write an additional about seven or 8,000 words. I can't remember off the top of my head for about 200 bucks. Okay. Wow. It's higher than a lot of people would go, but I can obviously tell that the results spoke for themselves. Do you think you could have said to the writer, here's the method for researching, like here's how I want you to go out and do the research? Mm -hmm. And do you think the writer could have done a good result as well? Or is it better to be like, okay, look, they're not, you know, just let them focus on writing and I'll focus on the research. Right. I think, yeah, you could do that. You could give that to one person. I think a better way would be to hire a researcher who would create a one-page outline based on the process and then have a writer do it. I, I think having two separate people do it like may bring fresh information to it or may keep the process cleaner. I'd be worried about the writer cutting corners and not doing as good of a job. But you know what? That process only took me about two hours. And at that point, I mean, I'm like an expert on the topic. So whenever he or she like would give the article back to me, I would know if it was well written or not. So there's like value in having knowledge. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I guess if it was me, I would probably maybe get a project manager or a researcher or an editor to do all of that Yeah, research preparation stuff, give it to the writer and then have them read the article afterwards, like the project person, because then they will be able to say, yeah, this article covers the key points, like the buying considerations. And I would say if anybody has their own site and they want to outsource the content, which is pretty much everybody, then they should at least take the time to do some research. And like one of my first websites was about shaving and I thought I knew everything about shaving. And then later I got some of those comments from people, you know, leaving comments being like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I thought that's true. I don't. So part of my thing was every week I would say, right, I'm going to write three posts for this site every week. I was very bootstrapped back then. So I did all the writing myself. And I also told myself I had to read one forum for an hour every week. And after a few weeks, I realized I, you know, I knew everything. I had gone through all the FAQ threads, all the beginner threads. So when I was writing my articles, I was able to cater to that kind of beginner, what do I need to know? So that you can actually write an article about a razor you've never seen before, but you can say, this is a good razor because it has this, and this is important because of this. And that's the kind of stuff you only learn from reading a ton of other articles and forums. Yes, exactly. And, you know, like we're saying, there's some value in having that knowledge. And I believe, you know, you mentioned having like an editor and, you know, basically a content manager type to do the pre-research. And I think that'd be perfect. I mean, I actually, I like to sort of separate out like the writing from like the editor. I mean, I expect the writer to do some editing, but I do know that, I mean, they're working on a per job basis and they're trying to finish fast. And even if they're a pro, they may make a little mistake here and there. And I think a different editor can usually like zip through it pretty quickly. And, you know, for the team that I put together, there was a content manager who formatted the posts and then edited for grammar and readability at the same time. So it was sort of an all in one, but you know, me personally, I like to have, you know, the writer sort of separate, even, you know, from the research, even though if you have like a sort of a Jack of all trades type writer, you could have them do, you know, the research, maybe they are an expert in the niche perhaps. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of people that you can hire depending on what your needs are. Yeah, that's so true. I don't believe it's going to cost you any more to hire more people anyway, because if you're going to be paying per hour, it doesn't matter whether you're paying one person 10 hours or two people five hours, but you're going to get a lot more out of that. With our sites that we build for ourselves, that we build for customers, we have a project manager, we have writers, we have editors, and then we have the people who upload the content. And then we even have one person at the end whose job it is to do the QA and doesn't cost us anything more, but it means there's like four or five opportunities for people to catch everything rather than expecting this magical VA to do everything perfectly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So one thing I can mention, you know, the results from improving this content. So the traffic went up like almost immediately just on this one post, right? So we added roughly seven or 8,000 words of content to 2,500 word post. And I believe we started getting a whole lot of new long tail traffic 
that we didn't have before. Cause all of a sudden we were covering like these minute features. We we're covering different products. Like there was all these new words that we could rank for. So our traffic went up by about 40% in about you know 45 days or so. Wow. Why did you pick 7,000? Is that just how long you felt it needed to be or were the competitors at 9,000? Yeah. Like why? I think, you know, for the most part, it was like 15 to 20% longer than, you know, most of the other competitors. So that's how we sort of arrived. We knew that it was going to be, you know, sufficiently longer than some of the competitors and, you know, sort of arbitrary, like, there were certain things that I added in the outline that, you know, you could only say a hundred words on it. Otherwise it's kind of boring and redundant just in general. So we just picked that. Yeah, that makes sense. And it totally makes sense that speaking from my own experience, every time we have extended a post, even if it's by 500 words, of course, you're going to increase the number of keywords you rank for, but then you're also going to improve a lot of the other long tail rankings as well. And then that's going to improve the rest of the site. So it's just like everything's exponential and you're just going to get all these extra boosts. Right. Exactly. And you know what? More important. So traffic went up by 40%. The revenue went up too, right? That's the most important thing. The revenue went up like it followed almost exactly. So within a month, traffic was up 40% and then the revenue went from like 10,000 to like 14,000. And if I remember correctly, it was like 10,000 to 14 to 19,000 to 32,000 in December. Wow. I mean, obviously a lot of that growth is because it was December, but I don't think that much can be because just because of the the Christmas shopping season. Right. Yeah. I mean, we obviously took advantage of the retail season, but, you know, the majority of it was probably due to new long tail traffic. And, And on that note, at the same time, I went ahead and got all these keyword golden ratio type of keywords that fit the criteria and hired a team of I think I put together a team of like four or five writers and one content manager slash editor to, you know, draft and post. And they basically worked through all that content and we were able to, you know, start ranking for a lot of those, getting a little bit of traffic essentially as soon as we published those articles. And how much did you pay the KGR writers? Because presumably you know, KGR content's not necessarily going to earn as much. Do you pay a lower rate and a shorter word count? Right. Yeah. So those are typically about like 850 to a thousand words or so, depending on how interesting the topic is. And we were paying the writers about 14 or $15 per article. And then the content manager would typically have to work about 45 minutes or an hour to format and draft the post. And then the other useful piece of information is we were paying that editor slash content manager about nine or $10 an hour. I think it was $9. I think I gave her a raise after some time. So all in those posts were roughly about 25 bucks each. Sounds like a bit of a bargain. 
I mean, there's definitely some overhead with, you know, me serving as the project manager, but obviously with a project with this scope and this level of like revenue and risk involved, I mean, I'm happy to do it (laughs) rather than to turn over the keys to someone else that you may not see things that are wrong and that need to be fixed. So I was happy to oversee the content area. Yeah, absolutely. So did you have any issues or difficulties that you overcame or was it just a case of we need to improve the content, we need to add more content and then you went out and did it? It was no major issues, luckily, but of course, when you're looking at, you know, a site that you're changing content on number one. So we tried not to change too much on that big post. And then, you know, the other part is just working through like building the team. You know, typically what I do is say I'm going to hire a team of five writers. I'll hire eight writers, assuming that a few of them are just not going to work out. Sometimes people flake out, plans change. Maybe they're scammers. I don't know. And they just disappear. So you know, there was a period of, you know, building the team, spending time on that. That was probably one of the more time consuming things to work on building the team. Yeah, I think that's something that I mean, I could personally dedicate an entire episode just to talking about that. But those are some pretty good tips, like hire more than you need. I definitely know with human proof designs, when we needed 20 editors, I would go out and hire 30. And normally, you end up with about 22. And the same is true with writers. So yeah, that's definitely the way we do it now as well. And when I start a new project, unless I'm working with a writer who I've worked with before, and I know that they're not going to flake out, I'll probably hire two or three writers and only one of them will stay long-term. Right. All right, cool. So moving on to the next issue. Well, we talked actually a little bit in the last episode about how you started the guest posting and your... I'll say friend, but the person you were working with got pretty good results straight away. I think you said you got about 10 links in three or four weeks, which is, I mean, I'd take that every day, but then it didn't work out because they didn't really adapt. So do you want to kind of pick up from there and say how you got over that? Sure. The biggest mistake that I made here was probably just not releasing the person, you know, sooner. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, a friend of mine. So it was someone I was a you know, friend with for a while. So I was probably gave him more leeway. I was, you know, probably took a couple more excuses than I normally would. Cause I mean, honestly, I take like one excuse <laughs> generally. And then I move on. Cause I mean, there's plenty of people that want to work and plenty of people that want to work with me. So there's no reason to stick with it. But, you know, when it came down to it, I, realized that I needed to take over. And I, again, you know, this was a big project, something important. There was a lot of risk involved and a lot of money involved. So I was happy to take it over. And, you know, this is the biggest mistake I made in the project. I should have taken it over really quickly or worked in parallel from the beginning just to, you know, get things to happen faster. And the things that I did to, I guess, make it happen being get those guest posts faster. I looked at the landscape of, you know, what guest posting used to be and sort of where it was moving. And as I mentioned, 
basically people are sending out like tons of emails and they're sending out, you know, very generic emails. And frankly, I think they're probably not working that well anymore because the same people are getting the same emails over and over again. And there's really no, it doesn't seem like a person wrote it. It seems like an automated email because it is. So the thing that I did was add more touch points. So very simple. I looked at what people were trying to do. They were trying to scale it. They were trying to basically do things as quickly as possible. So I thought, hey, what if I do the opposite? What if I, you know, take time, get to know the person, do some actual networking, and then take it from there? Would that work better? So I put together a couple people that would serve as outreach managers. And interesting thing here. Some people must be thinking to themselves, well, an outreach manager, you know, you're hiring an SEO to do some SEO work like that would be really expensive. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm jaded. I'm a control freak. And the last person that I want doing SEO for me is an SEO I hire from like Upwork. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you yeah. laugh, but I mean, why are you laughing? Why is that a good one? <laughs> I think, well, you know, I kind of agree with you. Like I feel... If someone hired an SEO off Upwork, I would feel there's just so many things that could go wrong. And I think even if you hire someone who has the best interests, the best intentions, and the most experience, I think the first six months would be me undoing all the training that the previous person that hired them gave them. It's like when you hire a writer and they do stuff like they bold the keyword and they underline stuff and use italics and you're like, why are you doing that? And they're like, my previous person told me to do it. And I just wouldn't trust a, like no offense to an Upwork SEO freelancer, but I wouldn't trust someone doing that kind of work for that kind of rate with something as important as SEO. Yep. I love it. I mean, that's exactly what I think. I mean, I have a very specific thing that I'm trying to do. And I have a very specific set of steps that I want a person to do. And I don't want someone to second guess what I'm telling them. And, you know, I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff, but I at least want them to follow the directions. So, and and I mean, Dom, you and I probably do like SEO in a different way, just in general. And I mean, that's fine. Like people do things different ways. So like the reason why I asked you that and we went down that road is I hired one of my writers. She'd worked for me for a long time. She was pretty sharp. And I, I thought, hey, do you want to do or I asked her, I said, hey, do you want to do something a little bit different? And it's a little clunky. I'm still figuring it out, but I think you may enjoy it. And it's totally different than writing or editing and hired a couple people that basically didn't have like an SEO background. And that was awesome because then at the point that I'm trying to do outreach and I'm trying to add more touch points, I just need someone who can follow directions and communicate well. And then they're okay with letting me know that, hey, this part of the process didn't work. I have some questions about it and let's figure it out versus, you know, like we said, an SEO that would maybe second guess my steps and think that I was doing something wrong. So this worked out awesome. These two outreach managers did a much better job than I could do. And the process was super simple. 
it was basically commenting on some blogs a few times and then they would email the person a couple times give them a compliment or something and then they would uh, ask for a guest post so it's not wildly different than the process that you know i have outlined before but there's a few more touch points and there's more periods more areas where the outreach manager gets to know the blogger and the blogger can recognize that person's name and they think of them like an online friend and that made a difference from you know what was a 3% conversion rate to a like 40% conversion rate wow I mean, I thought you were going to say like 3% to 10%, which is still a huge win, but 40, that's just like 40%. Wow. I'm going to be on Upwork in a few hours. (laughs) Hiring, hiring hiring my, yeah. Um, So there's a couple of things there. The first is when you mentioned that you hired people that like weren't SEOs to do outreach, at first I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, you would hire an outreach person to do outreach. But then I realized your point is actually you don't want to hire someone that's maybe already been trained a certain way. And it reminded me about when I first built my keyword research team for our specific services. The first person I hired was someone with SEO knowledge. And I was like, okay, I want you to research these keywords for me. Here's how I do it. I want you to do the same. And they would come back and they would give me a bunch of keywords that didn't meet my criteria. And, you know, I'd be like, look, I want to find a best blah, blah, blah keyword. I want to find some info keywords, some how to's, just pretty standard stuff. And they'd come back with a bunch of e-commerce keywords. And I'd be like, what are you doing? These aren't the right keywords. And they'd say, yeah, but the sites ranking for them are totally not optimized. And I just felt like, but this isn't how I want you to research the keywords. And then what we ended up doing was I taught Brad, my project manager, how to do keyword research. He practiced it for a few weeks. And then we went out and hired, I think we hired three or four people the first few weeks. And none of them had any experience with keywords. We just hired them because well, they seemed like good candidates, you know, they were polite, their communication was important, they followed instructions. We did the kind of standard stuff like, when you're applying for this job, tell us your favorite color. And anyone who didn't, we didn't contact them. And then we taught them how to do keyword research. And some of them have stayed with us for, well, I mean, this was about 18 months ago. And one of them we promoted very quickly to a manager, and he's been our manager ever since. So, I didn't even realize at the time the reason that worked was because we hired blank slates. I just thought, okay, we hired the right people, you know, and when you were saying that my eyes were like, Oh, that's why they're so good. It's because we didn't have to break any habits. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's also because they're great, but yeah, that's a real insight there. And I think we kind of, I didn't want to just brush past it. I realized that's actually really important. And then the other thing you said was about the multi-touch approach. And like, I know that that works. I've even seen people doing it to me, like commenting on my blog, emailing me a few times, Mm -hmm. like, hey, I shared this post. Or someone, it was funny, she commented on my posts for a few times and then she would email me and say, hey, I linked to your post in this post. 
And I'm like, oh, she's going to ask for a link in a few days. And I replied, oh, thanks very much. You know, and then she's like, hey, I shared this one as well. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> and then she asked for the link and I gave it because I was like, yeah, you played by the rules. Yeah. And even people who don't know what you're doing, they're just going to respond. It's just going to work. But I was unsure of, I think maybe I tested it in the past, was really how outsourceable that kind of thing is. So, I mean, did you give them an SOP to follow or did you just kind of say, this is basically how it works. Let's do it together for a few times. Like how strict were you with the steps? So the steps were fairly, I guess, rigid in that, you know, they needed to do the blog comments, they needed to do the email and they needed to, you know, just take their time in general. So it was rigid in that. However, one of the key things that I didn't do that, you know, again, this is counterintuitive. So everyone else is using templates, right? They're using templates for their comments or using templates for their emails. Everything looks generic. I didn't give any templates. I said, you read their blog, you think about what, you know, is interesting to you in that post and you comment on that. When you email them, like relate to them, you just read their blog, you've exchanged a couple of you know, comments and stuff. So, you know, write the email how you think you should write it and be friendly, be likable. And of course, I, you know, I talked to the people that were the outreach managers and I let them know the overall process, the overall goal. And I said, you're going to need to write these from scratch. I mean, you could have, you know, a bit of a format where you have, you know, maybe a compliment in the email some question and then a thanks, we'll catch up with you later. So you could have like a general format, but no templates. So as far as like outsourceable, I think it's outsourceable in the same way that you can outsource like activities that an assistant can do. So in fact, I would say that if I was going to hire, you know, more VAs to help with this type of process, I would most likely try to hire executive assistants or just office admins that know how to use spreadsheets, they know how to write emails, and they could read. Like, it's pretty straightforward. So anyone can do it. And I think it's just a matter of like, being willing as a manager to, you know, document the process in a way that allows flexibility, number one, and then realizing that there's going to be issues, and they're going to have questions, and you need to be there right away to answer their questions as they're working through it. And not be frustrated when, you know, they ask something that, you know, we may think is simple, but, you know, they don't understand all the nuances that we understand since we've done it for a little while. Yeah. Again, like your answer's given me two or three key takeaways there. The biggest one is don't use templates. I've had people, you know, you probably get it all the time as well. Like, I don't understand why people use templates in the internet marketing niche. I'm like, look, we've all read Backlinko. <laughs> like, <laughs> Brian Dean is fantastic. Like, you know, I'm not trying to do that. And then Neil Patel as well, and Authority Hacker and Niche Pursuits, they all share templates. And that's great. But don't use them in our niche. Like, come on. Like, and also people regardless of whether they use templates, people that don't even use my name. It's like, you know, hey, Human Proof Designs team. I'm just like, come on, delete. You know, says it's from Neil Patel, whatever, delete. And then the other thing is, I think it's very important that you said they don't necessarily know the nuances. And again, that kind of goes back to what we said about the hiring someone with a clean slate. 
you know, you might think, oh, I want to hire an outreach manager and then you're going to get outreach managers applying and they're going to be like, oh, I think I should use this template. And, you know, it's not real. Right. And, you know, people can see those templates because they can see right through them rather just because they probably if they're on a blog, they probably have started to receive these kind of emails because unfortunately people like you and me and, you know, Brian and Neil are, you know, publishing these nice templates that are really easy to send out in mass. And then we tell people how to automate it and then they do it. So, I mean, this is the outcome and I think there'll be a shift soon. I think we're seeing it happen and I hope I'm on the leading edge of, you know, changing how I'm doing it to make sure it actually works and, you know, that the links are effective also. Do you remember how you ever first sort of came across me or how you, you know, like when I first reached out to you or anything like that? I sure don't know. Do you remember? Yeah, I've got a weird memory like that. (laughs) Um, I basically started with a list of about six or seven bloggers, which Justin Cook from Empire Flippers gave me. And he said, you should reach out to people like this. Like one of them was you, I think Tung Tran was one, Spencer, John Haver. And Justin was like, look, don't just reach out to them straight away and pitch them like recommending human proof designs or anything, but just hang around and get to know them and stuff. So I basically started reading all of your sites and I would comment on every new post, which was really depressing because Spencer gets like a hundred comments. <laughs> I was there like getting one. And then like I'd go back the next day to see if they'd replied. And I think once I felt like I might be on some of your radars, I reached out to a few of you and I did an expert roundup post, which was, I think it was something like seven experts give their top three SEO tips. This was when expert roundups were just becoming a thing. Um, And I think I reached out to like 25 people and seven replied, which I thought wasn't a bad shout. And you were one of the ones who replied. And I can't remember exactly who did and who didn't. But then I kind of took that later and, you know, I started reaching out to people again and I kept tabs on, right, who's replied, who am I building a relationship with? And then later on, I would start to be like, hey, do you think I could maybe guest post for you? And like Stuart Walker, when he first started Niche Hacks, one of the first things I did was subscribe to his email list. And at the time he had an autoresponder sequence and email three or email four was like, hey, ask me anything. So I replied to that said like, Hey, I've been commenting on your stuff. I've been reading your stuff. It's amazing. And to tell you a little bit about me and he replied and we started a kind of friendship that way. And then, you know, maybe it was six months later that I asked him for a guest post, but it was very much real. And I've, you know, I never sent a single template and I never did anything. And I just went, I'm going to get on someone's radar and then just kind of be their friend. And the only thing I hate about that is I think, wow, how am I going to do that with every single niche site I have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I do remember the, that, uh, roundup post and you're right. That was when roundup posts were a little more interesting. And, you know, nowadays I get pitches from people that want to do roundup posts on my sites. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that's like from four years ago. And they want to do a roundup post on your site. So you mean they want to is that just a sneaky way of getting a backlink for themselves because they interview with themselves as one of the experts or something? I think it's a service. It's a service someone is trying to like. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
All right. I get the same pitches in that case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And expert roundup hosts these days, they may work in other niches, but I don't think they work because you don't even read them. And it's like 500 experts and you're like, I can't read all that. And if you've been included, you just come across and leave a comment and tweet it and then you're done. Oh, at least I do. Maybe other people are nice enough to read it. But I guess the point is, is just kind of be authentic and be like, I want to be friends with these people is my takeaway from all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like for these types of things where marketers ruin them, I think Gary V says that marketers ruin good stuff. And I mean, marketers were ruining like guest posting and using templates. So if you could do the opposite of like some of the, you know, specific techniques, don't use templates, high touch rate, you know, try to be authentic instead of sending out a bunch of emails, send out a few, then it works really well. And I will mention, you know, right. So I said, I went from like a 4% conversion rate for the email sent to like a 40%. Almost nothing happened by the way, for about four weeks, there was a lot of work happening, but there were no guest posts landing, but from, you know, weeks like five to seven, like a lot of guest posts happen, like an alarming number, like everything just sort of came around and it takes time to build a relationship, right? You can't do it in one day. It takes a few weeks to do it at a minimum. And if you can, you know, do a long-term, you know, or set up a long-term relationship, then that's, you know, obviously preferable. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point as well. As with everything in internet marketing, you're not going to see results straight away. And I mean, was there a point where maybe you were in like week, halfway through week three, and you thought, is this ever going to yield results? Or were you confident that the process was working and it just needed to take time? I don't think I got too nervous because some other stuff was happening at the same time. But the idea was it was going to take some time and I saw like progress was being made. So, you know, two weeks is nothing. Six months is nothing, you know, when you're thinking of a long-term project. But I knew that I just needed to give it more time before I, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I knew it was too early to make that call. All right. Yeah, that's great. All right. Yeah. Have you got anything else to add on this particular issue? No, we solved it. All right. Brilliant. So we never need to worry about outreach again. What is the final one? What happened? So the The, last thing here is the commission rate change. So as I mentioned before, effectively, we went from like eight and a half percent commission rate to about five and a half percent. My math is right. It's 35 percent. I do know that's correct. Our revenue dropped on March 1st by 35 percent. And we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming for about a month. We didn't know how much it was going to affect things. And, you know, that was a bad deal. I mean, basically, we couldn't do anything about it, right? There's no appealing to, you know, Jeff Bezos or anything. (laughs) Like, we kind of had, I mean, we're playing within the confines and the rules of Amazon, which is cool. I mean, they've obviously treated us well. And... We had some decisions to make. And, you know, this is part of, you know, again, from my corporate job, I understand, you know, high risk situations and you have to look at the overall situation impacts. You have some inputs of uh, data and you can evaluate it 
pretty, you know, accurately if you have, you know, enough information. So for us, we basically were looking at, okay, our revenue drops by 35%. That means our selling price drops by 35%. And that's unfortunate. We, you know, that's six figures basically that kind of went away overnight, which hurts to, you know, think about at this point. But what options do we have at that point? So we looked at those. So we could, you know, try to improve rankings potentially, but we really didn't lose any, you know, major rankings that we were aware of. Just, you know, traffic was relatively stable, but, you know, kind of on a downward trend due to some seasonality and that sort of thing. And then, you know, the other area is, okay, what do we do to earn back, you know, 35% that we just lost? We would have to add a lot more content and probably get a lot more links. And it may take, you know, time just for content to rank. Even if it's KGR content, it can take some time to go from position, say, number seven to position number one. And we had to evaluate that, you know, how important is it for us to recover the 35%? Yeah. And how much money will you have to spend to get it? Did you consider, I know what some people did was they looked at other affiliate programs as an alternative. So you wouldn't necessarily have to get more traffic or better rankings. You could just switch out some Amazon links for something else. Right. So we did look a little bit at that and it's actually a you know niche and product area that would have other affiliate programs out there that you know maybe they pay like up to 50% on clickbank products for example or you know share a sale may have some vendors on there that offered like 15% and you know we had looked at other affiliate programs when we were sort of trying to increase earnings in the previous fall of 2016. So we sort of had an idea that, you know, other affiliate programs wouldn't really pan out. And I mean, the reality is Amazon just converts so many other products in addition to whatever it is they're browsing for that it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to recover the 35%, even if we got like a 50% commission rate the number of items that we would be selling would be so much lower that it just, it wasn't going to help. Yeah. I think even if it was just one for one, like even if Amazon didn't have the universal cookie and people were buying other products, you would still probably find that for every one product you sold, you would sell the same product 10 times on Amazon and the lower percent would pay for itself. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago. I one of my first sites, I tried promoting the same products on Amazon was six percent commission. So I tried promoting one from some random e-commerce store that had an affiliate program but offered seventy percent. Mm. And let's just say when I learned my lesson and changed to Amazon, I made a lot more money. And even with one percent, I would probably still have made a lot more money. <laughs> yeah that's really depressing but you know that's the way it goes yeah so the punchline here is we evaluated you know what we wanted to do personally and looked at the project as a whole and you know both rob and i thought hey that was a good run we made a lot of money from the site from commissions already we're going to be able to sell the site for you know over two hundred thousand dollars 
and that's pretty damn good. So we continued, you know, to close out the rest of, you know, removing PBN links. That's one thing I didn't mention too much, but we got a lot of guest posts, but we staggered how we were removing the private blog network links so that we wouldn't damage our rankings. So we got a lot of links on guest posts first before we started removing any links. And at the end of the day, we decided we wanted to sell the site as soon as you know the project was done. And we listed with Empire Flippers, I think the week of, you know, being able to say, you know, all the links are gone, everything's stable, rankings haven't been impacted, and so on. Okay, nice. Yeah, so Empire Flippers pretty much confirmed that you got a much higher multiple because you had got rid of all the dodgy gray hat links. Yep, exactly. And, you know, one of the interesting things about a site that that's worth that much and will get offers in the, you know, quarter of a million dollar range, people make offers like, hey, we'll give you 135000 up front, but then we'll pay you out, say, 50% of the revenue over $5,000 a month over the next who knows how long. And this is a very creative way to finance the deal. But those offers just were not appealing to us. I mean, there's a huge amount of risk for us to hang on like that. And frankly, it kind of sounded like they didn't think out the possibilities that could happen with that sort of arrangement, right? Like we could sell the site to them. They could add a bunch of PBN links and the rankings could tank. Of course, it has nothing to do with us. Like we have no control over the site at that point, but we're still tied to the earnings and we're tied to the decisions that they make, even though, you know, it makes no sense to do that. So all that to say, when you have those white hat links instead of the gray hat links, we got more favorable offers. And the offer that we got was a basically a full cash upfront 235, which was exactly, you know, what Rob and I wanted. We didn't want to have to, you know, prolong it. One of the worst offers I saw was something that when I did the math on it, it looked like it was going to be like a seven year payout plan, which seemed crazy. I mean, who knows if Google's going to be around in the same way in seven years, right? I mean, it's crazy to say that, I know, but things change. Things change fast. So, <laughs> yeah, they'd probably forget to renew the domain name after the first year and then, you know, they'd come back to you and say, look, your site tanked. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. There's some- yeah, I, yeah. I would walk away from any deal that wasn't like, unless it was with some people that I knew and I knew what they had done with other sites and I knew that it would make me more money for the same level, like for very little risk, I would just not take anything but a hundred percent cash deal for a site. Exactly. Because of, you know, like you could have built the perfect site and they could just do nothing with it and it tanks. They do something with it and it tanks, you know, like it could just go and it's nothing to do with you. Exactly. And like you said, it could be something so silly, like forgetting to renew the domain or something like that. But there were a couple like slightly better offers where maybe it would be paid out in a year or six months. But even then, that does introduce risk. And again, it does sound like 
to me, some of the offers just weren't thought out. I mean, if there's some sort of payout plan like that, I would expect, you know, several pages of possible contingencies based on certain things happening. That's, uh, you know, there's so many things that could actually happen that we should all talk about beforehand. And they didn't include any of that. It was just sort of silly offer. So overall, I mean, going to White Hat, I think got us the best offer that we could get given the circumstances. Yeah, that's really interesting to know. Yeah, I think people would have been a lot less willing to pay 100% cash up front with a site that has PBN links unless they were someone like you or I who was like, okay, I know what I'm dealing with here. You know, they're comfortable with the link profile. They've got the resources to add white hat links themselves. And there probably aren't that many website investors out there with that skill set. Exactly. So maybe, maybe you should pitch your services to website investors and say, look, I'll take your gray hat site and turn it white hat. <laughs> yeah, that is something. Get some equity in there. Yeah. All right. So I think we've covered everything. The one thing I wanted to circle back to, you actually just answered, and that was, um, was there any negative search? Did you have any rankings affected by removing the PBN links? But you said no, you know, maybe that you weren't aware of, but not anything significant. Right. Yeah. Not like the major keyword that was bringing in the majority of the traffic on the order of like 85 to 90 percent. There was, you know, one thing I hadn't mentioned up until this point, but the trend of the overall niche was it's in decline, right? So we were in it during the you know highest period over the past five years or so. And that was really cool. But good things come to an end and it, it's it was trending down. So like we could see that and we could see, you know, seasonality was impacting it too. So traffic was a little down sort of in a surprising way. But like we mentioned, I don't think it was, you know, a loss of rankings. I think it was like the overall niche losing some of its popularity. Yeah, I think it's impossible to really know for sure. But I mean, when rankings drop, then fine. But if rankings stay the same and search goes down, I think that's nothing to do with changing the links over. If I had to, you know, give someone advice, I would say you should probably aim for twice as many guest post links as you have PBM links just to, you know, one, really light a fire under you to get this stuff done and understand the magnitude of like the job that you're trying to do. But also most of the time you have your PBM link on the homepage of that domain with the highest authority most of the time. And when you get the guest post, the authority doesn't kick in right away. It takes a little time. You may have the opportunity to link to your old guest post from new guest posts that you're publishing to sort of add a tiered link building component to your guest posting campaign. And over time, that certainly helps out. But if you are looking to do a similar thing and you want to replace a PBN link, I would say 2x the guest post links just to be sure that you're in a safe place yeah that sounds pretty good i mean i do think there is to some extent i think even if you lost pbn links and didn't replace them it would be some time before your rankings dropped anyway just because i think of how google works like if you get a link and then it's suddenly gone i don't think your ranking is going to dip straight away but 
when you're dealing with a site that's bringing in that kind of money, <laughs> like not worth the risk. Exactly. So, all right, cool. So you didn't bother disavowing the links or anything. You just took them down and left it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Well, this has been really insightful and I think we've covered a lot more than just the kind of three things that we did cover that we said we were going to cover. <laughs> so, you know, as always, I'm sure my audience are going to love this and everybody's really grateful for you coming on and sharing. Thanks, Dom. Really appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, really like the, the human proof designs community. Appreciate it. You know, everyone that hops over and says hello, like before I have, you know, templates that I use through this project, stuff that I've refined. You know, I don't just put out the templates. I use them. I will caution you, right? Don't send out the guest post templates, like use your own stuff. But the content templates and some of the things that I do with outreach as far as managing the team, like those are useful. And you can go to niche site project slash human proof and, you know, check out those specific templates there. You have to sign up for my email list like normal, but you know, you can unsubscribe if you don't think it's helpful. Well, you don't spam or anything. So, you know, I'd say to people, they'll learn a thing or two from your email list as well. So thanks, Don. That's cool. (laughs) I certainly do. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a brilliant offer as well. And I'm going to go check that out straight away. Thanks again to Dom Wells and the Human Proof Podcast for letting me rebroadcast that. Really do appreciate it. Do check out the Human Proof Designs uh, blog and and all the stuff that they have out there. They have a lot of services and that sort of thing. I am an affiliate, so you know I just want to disclose that as well. But I like those guys. They do good work. If you want even more details about Project Go White Hat, I highly encourage you to check out the blog series over at nichesiteproject.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, but I go into a little bit more detail in the blog post and you can actually you know, put pictures in there. So uh, the spoken word is wonderful and all that stuff. And maybe you're in the gym or driving in your car, cutting the lawn or doing something else. But you know, with a blog post, I can put in graphics, uh, earnings, I can put in uh, graphs and other stats, which can be interesting and help you understand some of the behind the scenes details that we were going through. So have a look there. And by the way, if you want to sign up for the email list there, it's great. I give you all the templates and stuff that I use. In fact, a lot of the templates I refined and sort of field tested with Project White Hat. So when you see the you know, outreach templates, when you see like the process that I went through, a lot of that was developed, refined, and then field tested through Project Go White Hat. So do check it out. Put a link in the show notes. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of The Doug Show. And if you're new, listen to a couple other episodes maybe subscribe. It'd be fantastic if you subscribe. And if you have a couple minutes, maybe you've listened to a lot of episodes, maybe all the episodes, leave a review on iTunes or whatever you listen uh, to podcasts with, but leave a review, leave a rating. That helps me out. I really appreciate it. And if you happen to be listening on YouTube, which looks like at least half the people at this point in time listen on YouTube, 
which is interesting because a lot of people were telling me, man, you should just put your podcast on YouTube. A lot of people are going to listen to it, blah, blah, blah. And I waited and waited, but it turns out a lot of people listen to uh, stuff on YouTube. I didn't realize it because I, I usually watch videos on YouTube. So anyway, if you're listening on YouTube, that's cool. Leave a comment. If, if you have the ability to leave a comment just to let me know, that'll be awesome. I would really appreciate it. And no matter where you're listening, thank you for the support. I know you're taking time out of your day to listen to me talk just like you are right now. So have a great day and we'll see you on the next one.